please turn in your New Testaments to 2 Corinthians 4, 14 and 15. 2 Corinthians 4, 14 and 15. We're going to be in 2 Corinthians, as I mentioned, as we started the service, just a few messages on gratitude, kind of having that Thanksgiving thing. Wilson, I think he fled. Um, yes, there is gratitude in the Bible, and he believes that too, obviously. But what is it that we should be thankful for? What does that look like in our lives? 2 Corinthians 4, 14 and 15, we know that the one who raised the Lord Jesus from the dead will also raise us with Jesus and present us with you in his presence. All this is for your benefit so that the grace that is reaching more and more people may cause thanksgiving to overflow to the glory of God. The grace that is reaching more and more people may cause true thanksgiving to overflow to the glory of God. I was recently listening to a lecture. In fact, I would recommend it. Gina found it for me. Uh, it was from a Sovereign Grace Conference this year called Connect, I think it is, 2011. But anyway, it's a lecture by D.A. Carson on postmodernism. Um, postmodernism, stay with me. Postmodernism is the idea, a way of looking at life that has gained popularity in the last 15 or so years. Postmodernism, the word post. Modernism literally means after modernism. That's what postmodernism is, what we came to after modernism. So obviously to understand what postmodernism is, we have to understand what? We have to understand what modernism is. To understand that we're past all that now. Modernism is a way of looking at life that basically says there is a way to explain everything that you see. There is a way to explain everything you see. It's like everything kind of fits in some kind of box. Uh, for, for some people, that may be science. And science can explain finally everything. For some people, psychology can explain everything finally that you see. And for some, as they say, religion can explain everything that you see. Postmodernism means we're done with the idea of really being able to explain things in a way that you can really have confidence in the explanation. There is no absolute truth. There is no real meaning you can count on. There are no real organizing factors that are finally real and true behind what people might feel or believe. When regardless of what people might feel or believe. In fact, in postmodernism, truth and meaning are simply things that the individual must define for himself. You determine what is true. And out of what is true for you, you determine what is therefore meaningful. Your truth as they say, is not at all like my truth. In fact, they are diametrically opposed, but they are both equally true because we personally believe them. That's nonsense. 
Two things that are opposite and literally at war with one another cannot be equally true just because someone holds a belief. Is there no existing meaning in life out of any kind of truth that's above our own opinions? That's where a lot of folks are in our culture today. That's why so many conventional thoughts of, of what is and, and, and definitions of what love is and meaning is and truth, that these things are, are now floating around and, and no longer fixed. And it's a horrible way to live. And I'll tell you why it's a horrible way to live. Because, because human beings are always acting like there's real existing truth and meaning out there stuffing their lives with things to provide meaning even if they don't believe in meaning. Let me say that again. <laughs> it's a horrible way to live because we all believe there's truth and meaning. And even if you say there's no meaning, then why are we stuffing our lives with all these things? Groping and grasping after meaning. But these things... Sometimes they are money or what money can buy. They kind of shift. It's what I'm going to stuff my life with, what money can buy. Sometimes it's sex. Sometimes it's sports or recreation or popularity or power. It's sometimes it's one thing and, and then the other. And, and look, I'm not suggesting that these things whether it's what money can buy or sex or popularity or whatever, don't provide some kind of sense of satisfaction at least for a moment in your life or a sense of achievement. Or I'm not here to deny that, there's, there's, that these things are devoid of effect on our lives. No, they are, they are very powerful actually. The problem is not whether they're real or powerful. The problem is that they cannot sustain this thing called meaning. And that's why we've got to go find something else. Because they leave you empty. And you've got to strap it on and you've got to gear up for the search either deeper into what you believe in or you're, you're stuffing ourselves with or, or something new that might end up, after all, sustaining some kind of meaning. The last time it was travel, this time it's hunting. The last time it was clothes, this time it's physical training. Last time it was a new job, now it's a new career. Or, or, and, or everything would be better if we just had a new coach. Amen? <laughs> Look, you know, I mean, my team got killed yesterday and I was depressed. <laughs> what does that reveal about my heart and what I stuffed my little heart with? In the lecture that I listened to, D.A. Carson said something, and the whole reason that I report this to you, D.A. Carson said something that I, I found fascinating. I've believed it, but I've never heard anybody say it, that actually postmodernism is dead. At least in France, where it came from. Unfortunately, you know, we're the people that kind of get it ten years late and are still acting out on stupid things, while the people who got it first have already determined it's stupid and have moved on. He said there's a shift now to a growing recognition of the need for definable meaning. And I suppose so is the Eastern European or the European Union's ripping up and 
that all the things in upheaval in Europe right now, I suppose all this floating stuff and floating meaning probably isn't working too well for you. D.A. Carson went on to say that he went to some of the larger bookstores over there. That's one of the ways. He's a professor. He loves books. One of the ways he measures this is he goes to bookstores in Europe or California or New York. Those would be leading indicator places in, in our, our you know, uh, country. And he simply pulls the manager aside and says, I want to know what's selling. I want to know what people are buying and what they're reading and what they're talking about over here. Well, 10 years ago, Jacques Derrida, Michel Foucault, some of the fathers of postmodernism, man, they were selling off the bookshelves. You determine truth, you determine meaning, everything's fluid, this is great. Finally, we're unshackled from modernism. They proclaim that meaning is really, there's no meaning, really truth out of meaning and all this connection between truth and meaning. Um, it's whatever you make it for your own reasons and nobody is buying those people anymore. Nobody. It's hilarious, really. You have to come, you have to be an out-of-date American to be drunk on that cocktail in this world anymore. The author, in fact, last year that everyone was reading over there, and I mean, they couldn't print enough of these books. I cannot say his name in French, so I will skip it. That tells you what, how non-cultured I am. But this man wrote this, a book translated in French. I can't say the name of the title. I don't know that it, the book's even translated into English. That basically is entitled, he's a French philosopher, learning how to live. And uh, this philosopher says, you know what? It's time for us to be done with all this this." this esoteric way of contrasting everything with everything and making a decision about nothing. He says it's time for us to go back to the idea that philosophy is actually trying to discover what is real so that it can add value, real value, to the way we live. That's why the book's called How, how to Live, or Learning How to Live. And so what he does in the book is he, he compares and contrasts six different philosophical systems that have kind of risen up in, in Western and Eastern thought, including the Eastern world. And one of the six that he looks at is Christianity. And D.A. Carson, giving this lecture, said, you know, the most amazing thing about this man in this book is he actually understands classic Christianity. He is not a Christian. The basic tenets of Christianity as he is laying this out, he is laying it out much like, not completely like, but much like we would lay it out. And, he, and you get to his, his thoughts about Christianity. And they're very, very positive, which would be very different than postmodern thinking because Christians, after all, have the nerve to come to conclusions about things. You know, this author said uh, in his critique that for him, the real problem of Christianity was finally at the end of the day. It's too good to be true. It's too good to be true that there would be this kind of love and grace and meaning and purpose and order in the world like that. 
I was listening to another, a reading actually, an article by another secular philosopher about a year and a half ago. I wish I'd written his name down. And just thinking about different systems of thought again, particularly in light of atheism or atheism. And this man, who was an American philosopher, he said, you know, if there were truth, I will tell you right now, Christianity, in my opinion, would be the only game in town. And he went on to determine, to, to say why Christianity, if there were truth, he's still stuck in postmodernism, why it would be the only game in town. It's too good to be true. Paul says that what seems too good to be true is. That's what's so great about it. It is true and it's about a relationship with God. And look, folks, I know him. I'm his and he is mine. And not because of my own intellectual ability to dissect him. I've never made him cry uncle in any way to accept me. He came from me. That's, that's why it's too good to be true, you see. He came from me. It's rooted in the love and power of Christ. God come to us, which is distinctly different from man trying to find God. Paul calls it simply the treasure. That life is about the treasure. That there it is. What's too good to be true is a treasure and it's true. And, and I'd like for us to go back to verse 7 in 2 Corinthians 4, and I want to work through this passage and look at two aspects of this treasure in light of our gratitude and how we, how we live in terms of gratitude with the treasure. The first is, thing is, is that our life is rooted in a treasure if you're a, a believer in Christ, as opposed to just a pit, floating opinions. It's external to us. Verse 7, but we have this treasure, and he, you look past, he's talking about preaching Christ and the wonder of the gospel. If you go back, and we don't have time to keep going back and back and back, we have this treasure in jars of clay, meaning within ourselves, as humans that are frail, we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the all-surpassing power is from God. And not from us, you see. That's why it's the treasure instead of us. Verse 8. We are, we live in this world, Charles will we are hard-pressed on every side, but we're never crushed. We are perplexed, but we are not in despair. We are persecuted, but we are never abandoned. We are even struck down. But we are never ultimately destroyed because of the treasure. In the gospel, in the sending of Jesus and the work that Christ has done on our behalf that we did not ask him to do, nor did we deserve for him to do. And the only way to make peace with a holy God is to drain the problem between us and true holiness which Christ did in the gospel, we are drawn up into a life of God's love. We are drawn up into a life of God's ways rather than our ways, God's love rather than our love, and God's peace 
rather than our frantic handling of things to try to find some little morsel of peace. You, you need to understand, this isn't just like accepting something so your life will be better. We're drawn up into the life of God Himself and to His love for us, His peace. And as we read His power, God has reached out to us. He has shown His love in sending His Son for the purpose of us being drawn up into His arms and having for ourselves this treasure of a relationship of the life of God in our souls. And God's lavish treasure, this treasure-giving love, and His power are ours. In fact, Paul says... The treasure is so powerful. The love is so undeniable in the gospel. The, the power is so constant that in hard times, the, it, it, our lives only point to the reality that it's His love that brought us through. It's, his, it's the treasure. In hard times, our lives only point to the reality that it really is outside of ourselves. It really is His power and not our own. And somehow we have it. We have apprehended God Himself. And through the gift of Jesus. That's what the gospel is. We are lavished and ravished by God himself. I'm going to say that again. I mean, I'm talking about being drawn up into his life because he wants us. And wants to give us his love without reserve. We are lavished and ravished by God himself. One of the tricks in life is to fall in love with the ravishing God himself and not fall in love with your relationship with God. Just think about that one later. You might want to write that one down and think about it later. To fall in love with the ravishing God himself that we immediately have relationship, familyship, and love with as opposed to simply being in love with our relationship, our religious relationship with God. With Christ, Paul says, we're hit hard, but we stand up. With Christ, there's always enough love. There's always enough power because we have the treasure. This Thanksgiving, two sermons on gratitude. This Thanksgiving, certainly we will thank God for our material possessions. Yes. We will thank God for our family. Yes. We will thank God for our food in abundance, yes, and for the good old USA, yes. Great! But these are not what we need to be most thankful for. It is the treasure. It is the blessing of of knowing directly God himself through Jesus. And being drawn up not only into his love, but into his ways, his truth, and his peace. But I want to go further than simply having the treasure and being grateful for it. Because Paul goes further. Our life is rooted in a treasure, Paul says. And then he adds this, that we give away. Rooted in a treasure that we need to give away. Verse 13, it is written, I believe, therefore, I have spoken And with that same spirit of faith, we also believe, and therefore, because we believe, we speak. Now, what Paul is doing here is quoting Psalm 116.10, where the psalmist is going through an incredible trial, an incredible difficulty, and God 
in, in the Old Testament, yes, God, in, a, in the same faith relationship, is sustaining the psalmist. And the psalmist says, you know what? I have to speak about this. I have to speak about the reality of the presence of God, the reality of the power of God, and the wonder of knowing Him. And so Paul says, as it is written, Psalm 116.10, I believe, therefore I have spoken. With that same spirit of faith, we also believe we've got the treasure. And, and therefore, he says, we speak. I remember what it was like to be a 19-year-old person who did not believe in truth. Absolute truth. It was horrible enough to be 19 with my whole life ahead of me, knowing that there was time to catch this train wreck. How much worse to be a lost person who's middle-aged, still groping, on to the next thing, never learning from the last 40 things that it won't work. How much worse to be a broken down old man with no real love. No real commitment. And no real understanding of what lies beyond or doesn't lie beyond the grave. I can't even imagine so much of this postmodernism, so much of this is among the young because the young aren't broken down yet. They still have time, you see. And yet there's nothing more tragic than an old fool, says the Scriptures. I don't know about you, but I need to speak. I have believed with that same spirit of faith as the psalmist. I have believed with that same spirit of faith of St. Paul, and I must therefore speak. I see the ugliness of my own sin, and I have to speak to my own heart the gospel. And I look around me and I see so much ignorance of truth, listless living, non-connection, futility, burned over relationships and lives, and I deeply desire for people to get off the merry-go-round of mirages. For people to pull their head out of the sand of secularism and see the glorious one, full of truth and grace, who lavishes and ravishes directly human beings because he wants them and is given all the love and power necessary for life. How wonderful for somebody like me. I yearn for people to have what Paul calls in 1 Timothy 5, quote, the life that is truly life. The life that is truly life. And so we speak to others that they might have it and be with God, with us, and with us now, even us. I know that's a rough proposition to... Being with God's great, but I'm not sure about being with us. But if we are captivated by that same grace and truth and love, at the end of the day, we will repent. 
We will love. We will do what is necessary to maintain our relationships. And it will be, though an interesting experiment, a fulfilling one, even to be with people like us, only because we have Jesus. Verse 13 With that same spirit of faith, we also believe, and therefore we speak. Because we know that the one who raised the Lord Jesus from the dead will also raise us with Jesus and, listen to these words, present us with you in his presence. All this is for your benefit so that the grace that is reaching more and more people may cause real thanksgiving to just rip, to just overflow, the word is, to the glory of God. Paul says in our passage that this life comes to us because of the resurrection, that we have a, resur- we have a relationship with God because our Savior defeated sin on our behalf on the cross. He defeated our second enemy, death, and He lives in that power to give life to all who come to Him. That distinguishes Christianity from other belief systems. It is the resurrection. You either believe in the resurrection or you're not a Christian. Period. That's what Paul says. To be pitied more than all men. Fools. If we do not believe in the resurrection, the only source of life that comes to us because Jesus in our place has died And Jesus in our place lives and and lives to give us life. He raises us, Paul says, with Jesus. Just as Jesus is raised, we are raised into a new life. And we must be thankful for more than the treasure. We must give it away. Because did you notice it's plural here. It's not just he raised me with Jesus. He raised us with Jesus. The idea is we all get raised who believe. That's why we speak. So lots of people can get raised and we all get presented in his presence, you see. And the great joy and the great point of thanksgiving here is in that plurality of how love comes to us and multiplies. Literally, the word means to multiply out to other people. We must get beyond simple gratitude in our lives to love. Beyond a celebration, a thank you celebration that we must have, mind you. But we must get beyond our thank you celebration to sacrificial giving to others just as Jesus sacrificially gave to us, and defined love in those terms. We must want others to have more than their own self-serving individual faults. That, Paul says, is when thanksgiving overflows to the glory of God. The angels rejoice when we know him. And we are so grateful. I told you I can't believe somebody like me would know God. But this passage says that God is most glorified when we trust in the treasure of Christ, rest in Him, depend on Him through hard things, and help other people come to Him. It's a party that glorifies God, you see. 
It's called the marriage supper of the Lamb. And this great multitude from all tribes and tongues and nations, no one can count, wearing white robes of righteousness. Thanksgiving means you not only rejoice in the treasure, beyond the warm hearth, family, all that great stuff, but you give it away. I love the old Michael W. Smith song called Give It Away. I'm going to quote to you from this song. He gives different vignettes of what love is. She asked him, this husband and wife, the first one's a husband and wife, the second one is a son and a father. The third is taking care of the poor, the poor that are crying out to be taken care of. She asked him for forever and a promise that would last. He said, babe, you know I love you, but I can't commit to that. She said, love isn't love till you give it away. Deny yourself. A father lived in silence, saw his son become a man, there was a distance felt between them because the father could not understand that love isn't love till you give it away. We can entertain compassion for a world in need of care, but the road of good intentions doesn't lead to anywhere because love isn't love till you give it away. You've got to give it away. And he goes on to say, there was a man who walked on water. He came to set the people free. He was the ultimate example of what love can truly be because his love was his life and he gave it away. You got to give it away. Love isn't love until you give it away. And that's when the, the thanksgiving overflows. To the glory of God. In this coming Thanksgiving. Isn't that cool? We're going to have two weeks on Thanksgiving. Can we rejoice in the treasure of the gospel? Knowing God as our greatest blessing. As the treasure, the thing, that the relationship that God's given. And thank God for that. And, and have a, a celebration of grace. And if we believe, can we speak? Who can you tell in your life, even in the next few weeks, as you think about, God, I'm so thankful. Who can you tell that there really is a better way? We know that the one who raised the Lord Jesus from the dead will also raise us with Jesus and present us with you in his presence. All this is for your benefit so that the grace that is reaching more and more people may cause thanksgiving to overflow to the glory of God. Let's pray. Oh Lord, would you cause that thanksgiving to be rooted in the treasure? And would you cause the reality of belief? And even for faltering people like us who know and keep coming back to that grace. Would you cause us to speak. 
out of gratitude that others may know. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.